as Paul was saying, I do a lot of traveling all over the world, and I have the opportunity to, to train those who are leading the church in different capacities. And um, I am a little bit surprised sometimes that I get to do what I do because I had a lot of uncertainty in my life when I started. Uh, and I had some failures in my life. I was a petroleum geologist in, in my first career in calling, and um, I did well with that. I made more money than I ever imagined. And then God called me into the ministry, and uh, I left it all behind and said, God, where do you want me? And he sent me and my wife first to China. And um, we, we went in with all these dreams about what was going to happen and uh, wild expectations. And the reality was something different than, the, than our dreams. And I think it's wonderful to have dreams, but sometimes those dreams get shattered. I know, Paul, you teach a lot about dreams, right? But, and one of the things you talk about is what happens when those dreams are shattered. Sometimes that happens. You have a dream of children, and sometimes that dream is shattered. Uh, you have a dream of making a difference in a career, making money, and maybe you lose it all. And those dreams can be shattered. In various ways, we encounter difficulties. And that's why I found that promise that Paul talked about, one of the strangest promises at all. You know, I, I like to teach the Bible, right? Nathan, you know that. And, uh, I, and I love to focus on the promises of God because that's a great place to put your roots down, right? And find a promise of God and just sink your teeth in. What about you? What are some of, the, what are your, some of your favorite promises that you cling to? Isaiah was sharing promise of God this morning. He was reading through some of the scriptures, the promises of God. What are some of your favorites? Could you just speak out a promise that is meaningful to you from the word of God? I will never leave you or forsake you. Yes. I am the Lord who heals all your diseases. I'm with you always to the end of the earth. Great promise. Ooh! What kind of a promise is that, anyway? What's your name? Anne. And that's a very different kind of a promise, isn't it, that you're bringing up? I mean, a lot of the promises, when we think of promises, we think of something good, but what you're describing doesn't sound so good to me. Thank you. Let's get real, right? It's not only not good, it's miserable. Let's face reality here, right? Say it again. What was the promise? Okay. She's reading or speaking from John 16. It's the last verse of John 16. And the setting is the, the Last Supper. They've dined together. Not a lavish feast, but from our perspective now, certainly a rich feast. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. You can't eat richer fare than participate in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has saved some of his most important teachings for this last time. You know how it is when you say goodbye? In our family, we can't say goodbye when we have family reunions very quickly. We start getting up from our chairs and begin to say goodbye, and an hour later, people are walking out the door. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to say, right? And we're saving all these things we want to share with one another. And so Jesus is beginning to share some very important things with him. And one of the things he says is, what Ann just said, I have told you these things, all the previous things, so that in me you may have peace. 
Now, that sounds like a promise, right? I mean, I can go with that. But then he goes on. In this world, you will have, my translation says, trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And so I think what he's wanting us to do, he's wanting the disciples to know that just because you're walking with God, you're not on easy street. It's easy to have that, that sense, isn't it? I'll be insulated from the world's troubles. After all, isn't God watching over me? My wife and I had this thought when we went to China. I started this story, and that was our thought as we went to China. We're thinking, hey, not only are we walking with God, but we're doing great ministry in a very dark place, right? Surely we'll be protected. But it wasn't that way so much. I, I know we were protected. I shouldn't say that. We were not protected, but it didn't work out the way we imagined it in our dreams. I mean, just there were some practical things. Uh, uh, food was hard to come by. I lost, I lost 30 pounds. And I, at, at that time, I weighed 20. I went there 20 pounds lighter than I am now. When I came back, my brother said, wow, he wrote, he, he called my parents. Uh, looks like he came from a concentration camp, you know, and I couldn't eat meat. It, it made me sick, you know. So there were just physical hardships. But there were also team conflicts on our team and things that, I didn't understand how to work through. And uh, I, I found myself just pouring over the scripture because I felt I was feeling God as a witness. I knew he wanted us to witness through our lifestyle because we were limited in what we could say in a communist country. We were prohibited from really speaking outright. And because of this conflict, I was sure that I was messing up. So I was seeking the Lord, seeking his heart, trying to figure out, why are we going through these hard times? After all, didn't we follow you? Aren't we here because of your call in our life? And if we followed your call, then why should we be going through these troubles? Shouldn't he be watching over us? Isn't that how it works? And as I began to kneel before him and cry out, a few complaints slipped through. <laughs> I wasn't happy. Not only is it not good, it was, what'd you say? Miserable. miserable. I was miserable. I'm so glad you're here. Is it Lori? What is it? Larissa. Larissa. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, all right. I can see a little family resemblance. I still see a family resemblance. I'm serious. You have the same mouth. I don't know why, but you do. And wisdom is coming out of both of your mouths, <laughs> sounding very similar. So as I was searching the scripture, I turned, I think with the help of the Holy Spirit, I turned to the letter of Peter. And he writes to the church, but I felt like it was the Holy Spirit writing to me. I'm complaining and complaining, complaining. God, why do you let this happen? This is not right. We shouldn't have to go through this. Why are we suffering? Why are we dealing with these difficulties? On and on and on. And then I read these words from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That is wild. So it was almost, have you, have you ever opened a scripture like that where you felt like God is actually talking to me right now? It's no longer a printed word. It's a living word. It's real time. It's not, it's not a recorded broadcast. It's live streaming, right? 
And that's what he, God was doing. The Holy Spirit was live streaming to me right there. And he was like saying, hey, what's your problem? Why are you so surprised? This is the way it is. In this world, you will have trouble. Do I hear an amen? amen. Well, I wasn't I'm surprised. You actually gave me an amen. Did, did, Larissa, are you giving me an amen on this? On, in this world, you will have trouble? Yeah? Okay, all right, okay, all right. I like where you're going. And that's what he says, the second part of it, he says, in this world, it's about position. I want you to see this, it's about position. In this world, you will have trouble. But in me, what does he say? I have overcome the world. So we, where you stand is really important. Now, we can't stop the suffering. There are, there are some things, of course, we can avoid suffering. Sin leads us right into suffering. I mean, definitely we can bring on the suffering. But just because we suffer doesn't mean we've sinned. You know that, right? So there's not a direct connect correlation between sin and suffering. Yes, because of the sin in the world, we've opened the door. Pandora's box has been opened, and there is real suffering in the world. But just because you suffer doesn't mean that God is punishing you. And any kind of teaching in that regard, particularly physical healing, right? You've heard, we've heard that. You know, okay, what sin have you committed that you're physically healed? That's not a connect that we can make. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus says, in this world you will have suffering, but I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So being a Christian doesn't mean we're airlifted out. Being a Christian means he's in us, the one who hung on the cross, and suffered violence, and yet was not out of his mind. When we suffer, did you say it, John, this morning, or did you say it, Rod? We lose our mind? What'd you say? Rod said that. When, when we suffer, we lose our mind. There, isn't it true? There's something about, we kind of get, we lose our perspective. We're no longer in our right mind. But think of Jesus on the cross. Here he is. When I stub my toe, I, toe, I become very self-focused. You know what I mean, don't you? I mean, pain makes us very self-focused. We're not thinking about others, are we, Larissa? I'm, I'm really, it's miserable. And I'm just thinking about myself. When I'm in pain, you know what? That's all that exists in the world. But think about Jesus on the cross. Can you be in worse pain than in a crucifixion? Remember, the crucifixion was designed to maximize both pain and shame. So in order to breathe, right, it's, it's, it's death by not just a thousand cuts, by many different means. So he, he's, the weight of his body is compressing his chest cavity so that it compresses the lungs and he can't breathe. In order to breathe, he has to push up against the nails on his feet in order to open the chest cavity to get a breath. And then the exertion wears him out and he collapses again and the holes on his hands or wrists, wherever they were, open more. And yet, he's still in his right mind, and from the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what's amazing. Suffering can make us very self-centered. And it can obliterate not only the needs around us, but it can obliterate worse, our sense of God who is with us. And this is what's so dangerous about suffering. We know from the scripture uh, one of the promises you read, or you didn't read, but you referenced Romans 5. And I don't know in particular what you were looking at in Romans 5, but in Romans 5, it talks about how, care, how, 
how suffering leads to perseverance and ultimately to character, right? We know that transition, but it's not guaranteed. I'm not saying the word is false. I'm not saying the word is false. But what I'm saying is there are a few factors. And because you've heard the expression, suffering can make us better or can make us bitter. We've heard it preached many times. But one thing that I've learned, I used to be a geologist. One thing I learned was that there are things that help increase the odds, if I can say it, that it will make us better. And maybe you've heard this illustration, too, about how carbon, the element carbon, exists in different forms. One form is amorphous, non-crystalline form, and that's coal, black, fuel for electric plants. But the other form it exists in is diamond, very valuable, a crystalline form. The two are exactly the same, element, but totally different form, totally different value. And so there's been experiments. I mean, years ago, they tried to experiment. Well, hey, if coal is relatively cheap and diamond is really valuable, how can we change one to the other? After all, they're the same element. And they realized in nature it occurs when they're subjected to enormous pressure and temperature under the earth. And it just happens naturally. They thought, well, could we, could we synthesize it? Is there a way to fabricate it by putting it under those same conditions? And they tried, and they tried, and they tried, and they tried, but it didn't work. They didn't get diamonds. They just got coal that got burned. <laughs> didn't work. And, but they experimented some more. They set up different situations, different scenarios. And finally, they figured it out. And you know what made the difference? In that oven with pressure and all, they, they didn't just put the coal, which was the carbon source, they added Fe, iron. And when they put iron in there, it did change to diamond. And that diamond would be able to be used in different industries, you know, like my industry, oil and gas. We, we use this diamond and drill bits to cut through stone. Very valuable, very expensive. But this reminds me that suffering may make us bitter, it may make us better. When I suffer, my first experience of suffering made me very self-centered. I, I, I kind of fall into self-pity. My earlier experience of suffering at the church, my mentor, at the church I served in Texas, he heard, uh, he, he wanted me to come. He encouraged the call committee to give me a call to that church. And he welcomed me. He encouraged me in many ways. But then over the years as they passed, as the church began to grow and I, I began to focus more on discipleship, he began to undermine my ministry. So much so that he asked all of the major givers in the church to stop giving. Because the thought was, if the church no longer had enough money, then they wouldn't be able to afford to pay the pastor, yours truly, and then I would leave. This was his way to kind of you know, get me out of the picture. I don't know if he wanted to be back in the pulpit or what. But it, you, you can imagine it was a struggle. And you can imagine that I agonized over this, because this guy was my, a mentor to me. And I wrestled with this. Uh, I did speak to him one-on-one, -on -one, and we worked it through. He repented. He said, I'm sorry, I won't do it. But he was right back into it months later. I brought another gentleman the same age, 74. And he said, why are you doing this? And he repented and said, I won't do it. And did he stop? No. 
finally came to a head uh, when we asked him, you know, please, uh, this, is, this is the church you planted. Please help build it. Don't tear it apart this way. He took great offense. He left the church, and he wrote a letter to every member of the congregation and said, this young pastor kicked me out. Well, of course, people don't understand what's happening behind the scenes, do they? And so a third of the church left. And what did I do? I'm, this is a kind of suffering. Relational conflict is a kind of suffering, right? And so what did I do? I fell into self-pity. And there's this offense, right? And so what do I do? Maybe I start complaining about him, right? That wasn't healthy. And in that situation, the suffering doesn't produce any value in me. It doesn't produce character in me. And that's God's calling. God desires to use suffering in our lives. But it's really important where you turn in the midst of it. You can turn inward. You can look at yourself. You can fall into self-pity. You can become a victim. And unfortunately, that's too easy for many people. They become victims. Woe is me. And they have a pity party. And for many people, that's a really nice place to live. But if you're following Christ, it's the worst place to live. We're called to turn to Christ. Amen? We're called to turn to Christ. When Peter is writing, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening. He invites us to participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. That is the crucible of life. We're really enamored with the charisma, the spiritual gifts. But God is very concerned about character. And character is not something we learn in a classroom. It's something we learn in the crucible of life. That means we get pounded sometimes. And I don't know where you're getting pounded or if you're getting pounded or if you're in a good season right now. Fortunately, we, we don't get pounded interminably. I, I, I just want to share this. What brought me comfort as I read that passage in 1 Peter, and I think I'm sharing this with you for some reason. I don't know why I get that sense. But you read that passage or you spoke that passage from John 16. So let me, let me finish what Peter has to say. And I'm not saying it's just for Anne, but I'm looking at Anne, and, and, and the rest of you grab it if it's for you too. But where, where, Paul, where Peter says, don't be surprised, and he also goes on in chapter 5, verse 10 to say, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And this was the, the continuation of the promise for me. That yes, in this world you will have suffering. Yes. We are under his grace, but it doesn't mean that we have a different life than he does. He says, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Wait for it. Suffering is not interminable. The God of all grace, who called you his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself, see how personal it is? Himself, 
restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. All the things that I was not. How, what's the pathway to strength? Very often it's suffering. And think about it in the life of, of Paul himself. In 2 Corinthians 11, we read about his suffering as, I don't know your name either. What was your name? Oh, wow. <laughs> Paul was talking about Paul and said he really got, I don't, did you use the word clobbered? Is that what you said? Was that your word? Slaughtered. Okay, it rhymed with slaughtered. I heard clobbered. Okay, but he got clobbered, and if you read you know, his account, his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, you know, three times beaten with a rod, five times shipwrecked, and stoned to death, left for dead. What a resume. Isn't it an interesting resume? I like that idea, Nate. What a resume. Now, we do know people who have been beat up, and they've abandoned Christ, right? Because they're turning inward, maybe instead of outward. The very next chapter, it's chapter 12, Paul begins to defend himself against the accusations of those would-be rivals who are calling him a false apostle. And he's saying, okay, you think I'm boasting? Well, let me go on to boast. He's being a little sarcastic. He says, I'll tell you about this guy that caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. And he saw things that are unspeakable. Now, there's another part of his resume. Paul got beat up but he also met with God face-to-face -face in heaven, or whatever the third heaven is. Now, if I had that experience, you can better believe I'd be letting people know about it. <laughs> On Facebook, yeah. In conferences, right? I'd be sharing that testimony, that resume. I don't, we wouldn't be sharing that other one about the suffering, would I? But isn't it interesting, when you look at what Paul writes about that, he says, I know this man who got caught up. He's talking about himself. And he saw things that were amazing. But then he goes on to describe what happened next. And we know. He says, the Lord gave me another gift. And the thorn. The thorn. Marissa? It's incredible. Where is, when's the joy come? In the morning? I don't know. It's the morning now. You know, here's what happened. I want you to look. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow me. It's 2 Corinthians 12. Paul explains part of what he learned about the thorn. It didn't come to him initially, but he learned after the fact. And he writes about it. He says that the Lord was saying to him that to these, he had these surpassingly great revelations in seven, verse 7. He says, but in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. God cares about pride. He cares about pride. And in order to shape our character, he will, sometimes will put us in the crucible of suffering. And Paul writes about that in the beginning of 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He writes about this, this relationship, and how important it is, how, what an important role suffering plays in our lives. And 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, we don't want to be misinformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. That province of Asia he's referring to is Turkey. And he describes it this way, we were under great pressure. Anybody under pressure here today? Here's how he describes it. Beyond, far beyond, not just beyond, far beyond our ability to endure. When I first went to the underground church of China, I was speaking with a Singapore, uh, a Chinese man from Singapore. And as I, he could tell my longing to be ministering with the Chinese church and the underground church in particular. And he realized I had some sort of fantastic kind of a view of what this would mean. And he said, listen, don't put them on a pedestal. He said, yes, they've suffered. Yes, they've been in prison for 20 years, 30 years, whatever. And I met them. I met the ones who had been in prison for 20 years and 30 years. He said, but don't put them on a pedestal. He said, they're people just like you and me. They have flaws just like you and me. And I don't want you to put Paul on a pedestal either. I know he's a great man of God, but we can put him on a pedestal and forget that Paul was also a human being, just like you and me. And so look at how he responds to his suffering. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that, what? We despaired of life itself. I don't want to make more of this than is here, but Paul was in a very low point. If you despair of life, some people take their life when they despair of life. He was low. So if you sometimes get low in the midst of your trials and tribulations, Paul understands. You're not the first one. And so he goes on to say, but, is there a but there? No. We were under great pressure, so we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death, but this happened. Why? that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's a big thing. In the United States, one of our key values is self-reliance and independence. Isn't it true? We're trained right from the cradle. And although it does seem to be a great virtue and a great merit in business and enterprise and even, even it seems to be a great merit in ministry, Paul had to learn that it actually works against you. And it's one of the hardest lessons to learn. We do need to be expressing ourselves with initiative and taking responsibility. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, when we rely ultimately on ourselves, we're, we're standing on quicksand. Paul had to learn, and unfortunately had to learn the hard way, not to rely on his enormous gifting, because he was very gifted. Trained by Gamaliel, the best of the best in the school of the Pharisees, endowed with many abilities, caught up into the third heaven. And God said, good, I got you started. Now graduate school. The school of suffering. The school of suffering is an invitation to move closer to Christ that's what it is. 
Paul, at the end of his life, finally had it figured out when he wrote to the Philippians and he said, this man who met him on the road to Damascus, this man who was caught in the third heaven, this man who wrote the epistles of the Bible, who if anyone knew God figured it would be Paul, this man writes at the end of his life, I want to know him. You said it's about Christ and the cross, didn't you, Paul? The Paul with the cell phone, not Paul with the, the epistles. You said it's about Christ and the cross, right? Yeah. Just to distinguish. I wasn't trying to call you out. I mean, just, I'm trying to, just trying to distinguish. But this is, this is, uh, this is the, the focus, right? Move to Christ. Paul says, I want to know him. Paul, you've told the whole world about him. He preached at one point, I've made Christ known in all the world. Didn't he say that? And yet, he says at the end of his life, I want to know him. Have you, have you finished? Have, is that on your checklist? Boom, done it. Been there, done that. Have you checked off? No Christ. Boom. Got it? Ah, do you? Oh, so you know Christ more than Paul. Ah, I got it. Yeah, okay. You see what I'm getting at? When can we say we know Christ? Think of his enormity. I have a wife I've been married to for 39 years. And you know, just last week, she told me a story I'd never heard about her life. I'm still getting, I feel like I'm still getting to know her. And think of God, the enormity of God. This is a being of infinite. He's an infinite being. Just not infinite capacity, infinite, infinite virtue, infinite love, infinite power, infinite wisdom. He's an infinite God. So how can the finite wrap its arms around the infinite? A finite period of time is not enough to grasp the infinite. Paul realized more being revealed. I want to know him. And as he begins to let go of his own self-reliance, as he begins to transfer his weight from his own feet to the foundation of Christ, the rock, he gains a strength he never knew he had. And at the, as he closes, what he talks about in 2 Corinthians, he says that he learns to delight what? In hardships, in trials, in sufferings. Why? Because there he learned he was strong. Another one of our American virtues is strength. Paul had to learn to be weak before he could be strong. And as he did it, he discovered that God, we may be allergic to weakness, right? I was telling the guys this morning, guys especially, we're allergic to weakness. But God is attracted to weakness. And through suffering, sometimes we discover weakness that we didn't know we had. It's unveiled to us. And now we're in a position. Now we're standing where we need to be, not in the world, but in Christ. Because weak in weakness, we have nowhere else to stand. So where's the joy? Where's the joy? Paul says, I want to know him and participate in the fellowship of his suffering. Sounds miserable too, doesn't it? Thanks very much. That's why you invited me here. It's a long game. It's a long game. And this is what's difficult for us to anticipate. Nobody says suffering is fun. Paul said that. It, he says, how did he put it? It hurts to be hurt? How did he say that? He, what did he say earlier in the children's message? It, it, when you get hurt, it, it's bad? How did he say it? Something like that. It's not good. No one is saying suffering 
is something we seek out. No one's saying that. But suffering can be redemptive. Suffering can be redemptive. And that's what it is. It's a long game. In the midst of it, yes, James says, count it all joy. You know the scripture from James, count it all joy. But it's hard to do. I, anyone agree on that one? Yes, John? Well, I'm sure glad you brought that up. <laughs> Seriously, that's part of the problem. I mean, I feel kind of cheated sometimes. I don't Thank you. Yes, well, welcome to the human race, right? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I, have, I actually have a brother right now who has been through nine years of unemployment or semi-employment. Cornell graduate who had his own business and used to make millions of dollars and was reduced to really nothing. And he's wondering, what about that? His scripture is, what about the abundant life? Where's that? It's a very difficult question to answer, but it's not answered in the short term. It's a long game. And I'm not saying that, OK, we're waiting for heaven. No. James does say, count it all joy, because this is where you come closer to Christ. Let me return to my own story about being betrayed by my mentor. <coughs> As I told you, he tried to dry up the funds and drive me out. It didn't work. God stepped in. We would have garage sales, and, and God raised money. And so I went without pay uh, sometimes. But over time, I stayed because I knew it was the call. And then God brought me into a real sweet time. It was very rich time of ministry because I endured. It was not fun. But I knew that to be where I am now, right now, I, as Paul was saying, I train leaders in many countries around the world, China, India, Indonesia, the Middle East. I can't mention the places I go sometimes. But I know now that I would not be there today if I didn't go through the furnace then. There were things in my life that were not Christ-like. I had to be purged. And the only way to do that, again, can I be a geologist again? You know how you refine metals? <laughs> you melt them down. And because metals have different uh, temperature levels in which they solidify, what happens is impurities tend to solidify before the rich ore. And so that's dross. That's what dross is. Dross is impurities that become solid while the rest of the precious ore is still liquid. So you can skim off the dross. That's what God is doing in us. It's not pleasant. It feels like meltdown. Because it is. That's why it feels like meltdown. But through that, he skims off the dross and you become more like Christ. You shine with his light, you live with his love, and you live in his life. 